Welcome, everyone. Let's talk about politics and governance again. Platform workers. Are they employees or contractors? So in Canada and the European Union, the status of platform worker is a hot topic. On both sides of the Atlantic, both policymakers and labor advocates are grappling with how to protect the rights of these workers, who are often misclassified as contractors. And so I have invited Raoul Gibert to explain us the different approaches that Canada and the European Union are taking on this issue. We'll also discuss the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead for platform workers in both regions. As always, Rodrigo Silva, let's talk about politics and governance. Raul, welcome to our episode. Yes, good morning. Hello. So, Raul, tell us about why you decided to conduct research on platform workers, because Well, the European Union and Canada are both taking steps to address this issue and is an area of active research and debate, apparently. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the platform economy, people were thinking about an oil platform here that <laughs> they're not on the right track. This is the platform economy, gig workers, we also call them. It's obviously a, a part of the economy that just grow, uh, is growing exponentially. And this large growth in that sector has really created a mismatch between labor law and practice, but also between labor organizations and, and actors on the labor market and these workers, where there's now millions who are, as you rightfully mentioned, are either misclassified or maybe they're classified correctly, but they're lacking sort of basic protections. And that motivated me to look at the sector and at these workers a little bit more closely to mm -hmm. see how they can potentially benefit from some of the protections that other workers do. Yeah, because as you said, it's a sector that's growing exponentially. So there was, and you are very clear in the article about this, there is a clear gap in research when it comes to platform work. Is that so? Well, the, the gap really uh, exists both in research and in practice, right? Uh, it is something that is very quickly developing and has been developing over the last couple of years. So I think research is having to play catch up and trying to wrap its mind around how to tackle this and We can talk about the two different ways of trying to include these workers in a little bit more detail afterwards. But there's also a gap in the practice, right? So practitioners are actually looking for advice and looking for new solutions to try to deal with the very practical problems that arise, be it occupational health and safety, be it high turnover and dissatisfaction with jobs and so on and so forth that can happen in these, in these conditions. Mm -hmm. You set out to then explore the rights, several ways of rights for platform workers. So let us know about the most important findings or highlights of your study. So I, I think my argument as I'm, I'm not a labor lawyer, so labor lawyers can argue, argue the other side. While it is important to obviously update the labor codes and the labor, the norms that were uh, employment norms and so on and so forth. I think one of, one of my main uh, objectives of the article was to show that labor market actors, such as trade unions, but also potentially employers' organizations or professional associations, they need to step up to the plate here. And they need to reach out to these workers uh, because just uh, either squeezing these, and this is the two different ways of doing it uh, that I referred to earlier, just squeezing these uh, platform workers into the existing labor code with a couple of tweaks uh, or uh, creating some other 
sort of frameworks that would be directed to only to platform workers is is going to fail if if we don't actually reach out to these workers and organize them and and have their uh, collective input on it. And I think that is really what this story from the fieldwork also tells quite uh, impressively that when a traditional labor market actor like a trade union reaches out and organizes these people and uh, organizes them their way, right? Uh, meets them halfway and, and brings them in, uh, then you can get some success with traditional labor law or maybe uh, an upgraded version thereof. But if, if we don't do that, if it's something that only happens in the field of policy, the lawmaking and, and the labor courts, then we're unlikely to succeed. And maybe that's the that's the pitfalls for, for the European scenario if we only go about it from the European Union as a directive and then implementation in the countries. Uh, there needs to be action as well with labor market organizations being involved. Because so let's talk about action. Because so you revealed a bit about the actors of the labor market in this situation. So I'm curious to know more about policy implications for this, maybe in both cases of Canada and uh, European Union. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I mean, I look specifically at the food delivery market as one of the subsector of these of this growing uh, platform work that's essentially dictated by algorithms. And and I think a couple of uh, the policy elements that give the workers the tool uh, to work uh, together, but also to a certain point to work with their, uh, what I would call employers, uh, employers don't always agree with that, to address some of the main issues, uh, That that's really where policy can help, right? So it is about uh, having information about the algorithms that they work for or that they work under so that scheduling and payment arrangements, fees, schedules, and so on and so forth, become at the very least transparent. Questions around discipline, these algorithms that will upgrade or downgrade you based on delivery times and, and scores uh, that were attributed by the, by the clients, for example. Uh, so that's one basket, I would say, of transparency, dealing with these algorithms themselves and, and, and making sure that workers actually understand how they fit into this this machinery. Uh, the other aspect is occupational health and safety. So the, the whole issues around workplace safety and workplace accidents, I mean, it becomes really tricky when there's no workplace, no physical workplace, and nobody will expect from some of these companies to control everything that's going on in terms of the weather, in terms of the road conditions, in terms of other reckless drivers, and all of these really horrible stories that I was able to collect during the fieldwork. However, <laughs> there's policy involved, right? I mean, this is not the first time we have a mobile workforce. So there, there, there is potential options for the policymaker, be it uh, some, for, some form of no-fault insurance, definitely uh, having a payment scheme for, we call it workman's comp or workers' compensation schemes. So these types of policy tools need to be updated and upgraded in order to protect and include these workers. Mm-hmm. And what do you, what opportunities do you think that there is for further research in this topic? For example, other sectors than food delivery markets, or yeah. also maybe the role of like technologies and the platforms, because you mentioned the algorithm. So yeah. what's ahead of us now? Yeah. So I mean, we can think of the, the the platform economy on a sort of scale of how much autonomy do I have, uh, and how good or bad are my working conditions, and and in terms of the food delivery sector. Uh, people are in the, I would say, in the quarter uh, that has very little autonomy in terms of control over the working over the over their work, and that have relatively 
poor working conditions. But certainly this research and looking at the platform economy also needs to eventually look at other gig workers who may have more autonomy because they have better skills, for example, or people who have better working conditions to a certain point but lack the autonomy. Right? So I think these two elements uh, and, and the two examples that I gave, so the algorithmic management and the transparency around it, that speaks to the autonomy aspect and the, the working conditions, uh, be it health and safety problems or pay, vacation, family equilibrium, and so on and so forth. That is on a second scale. And I think by really going into these two research axes around transparency and the algorithm itself on the one hand, and then the working conditions on the other, I think we can start to map out the uh, uh, platform economy a lot better and find solutions that are appropriate for different groups of workers there. Perfect. This has been an episode very straight to the point, but I would like to challenge you to wrap this episode up. If someone just came to join our conversation and you only had one or two sentences to pass the message, the most important message of your research, what would it be? The platform economy is growing and it's not going away. And both legislators and worker organizations, uh, labor market organizations need to step up their game in order to reach out to these workers and more meaningfully protect them and include them in the, well, in the labor market in, in a meaningful way. Great episode. Raul, thank you very much. Thank you, Rodrigo. This podcast is powered by Cogitatio Press. You can listen to this episode on the Let's Talk About Politics and Governance website, on Cogitatio Press YouTube channel, and whatever you get your podcast.